transfiguring God. Give us glimpses of your glory that we might live in faith, hope, and love. Amen. Sometimes a glimpse is all you need. A lot of us keep photos of family around to remind us of who we love and who loves us. Soldiers and police officers often have a picture of family tucked into a pocket somewhere, or we have a picture of a spouse, children, or grandchildren as the wallpaper on our phones. And when we catch a glimpse of those photos, it becomes something like our North Star, a reminder of why it is that we go off to work when we would rather be with our loved ones, or makes us excited about getting to see them soon again. I remember before each of our girls was born, a, a glimpse of the sonogram photo would remind me of the excitement that was to come. Or leading up to the day of our wedding, I had a daily countdown on my computer. And as I would glimpse the descending days, it made it seem more real. It's also why our homes and churches are decorated with religious art. Whether it's an icon or a cross, Having those things around allows us to steal glimpses of the grace that defies explanation of the love that is making all things well. And we need these glimpses because they give us comfort, strength, and hope. Having photos that put a smile on our face every time we see them, those are worth their weight in gold. Souvenirs and mementos that remind us of the things that matter most are probably among the most valuable objects that any of us have. And this is especially true given how difficult life can be. It's a standard trope that you can find in many movies. At some point, the hero will encounter a struggle that seems to be defeating and final. But in that moment of resignation, they catch a glimpse of something. Maybe it's a memory, a word, a person, and their strength is renewed like that of an eagle. I'm sure we can all think of that storyline somewhere in a book or television show, but the first one that comes to my mind is Disney's Frozen 2. It's where Anna finds herself down stuck in a pit. Presumably, her sister is dead. And their snowman friend, Olaf, has been reduced to a pile of lifeless snow. Hello, darkness, I'm ready to succumb, she sings. But then there is an unexpected glimpse of hope. She says, a tiny voice whispers in my ear, you are lost, hope is gone. But you must go on and do the next right thing. And with that glimpse and spark of hope, she does do the next right thing, and she becomes the true hero in a movie that's mostly about her sister. And it's not just in the movies where people feel overwhelmed. It seems like we're just a couple of dominoes away from World War III breaking out in the Middle East. Partisanship is intractable, and I hate to remind you of this, but we still have nine months to go of attack ads, court cases, pundits, and yard signs. Maybe we're stuck in some situation. It might be a relationship, it could be a diagnosis, 
or just a phase of life that's draining us. And what gets us through these tough times is rarely having our problems just all miraculously vanish. When we are in the valley of the shadow of death, what gets us through is not often a helicopter landing and whisking us away. No, more often than not, it is a glimpse of our good shepherd's rod and staff that gives us comfort, that allows us to find our way through the difficulties and the despair. And if we are able to be honest, we can also admit that some of the challenges that we face are not challenges that our faith can fix, because faith itself is the cause of the difficulty. It is as the English writer G.K. Chesterton put it, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. A lot of people like to think that faith will solve all of their problems, but in reality, faith actually causes a whole lot of problems for us. Without faith, I could just write off those people who annoy me and do me wrong. But because of Jesus, I've been given the holy work of loving them and seeking reconciliation. It would be so much easier just to hate our enemies instead of loving them. Every year, we give 10% of our income to this parish and other charities. That would be a rather nice European vacation if Jesus would just stop saying things like you cannot serve God in wealth. We like to set the direction of our own lives, come up with our own priorities. But Jesus says, follow me, even if obedience is a dirty word in our culture. So much of Christianity cuts across the grain of society. Things like generosity, sacrifice, obedience, humility, graciousness, and mercy are not things you will see many ads for in tonight's Super Bowl or whenever you scroll through social media. Sure, we might lift up examples of those things when other people show them. We might even say that they are inspiring. The struggle comes when we hear Jesus' words directed at ourselves. If anyone would become my disciple, let them deny themselves and take up a cross and follow me. Sure, we want the benefits of our faith, moral formation for kids, community and fellowship, lovely music to listen to, a sense of meaning and purpose. But when we hear that we're supposed to give 10% of our income, forgive our enemies, and structure our weekends around coming to church instead of chores and leisure, well then we start to think, you know, I can teach my kids about morals. I've got great community at Rotary or the club. My career and my family, that's all the meaning I really need anyway. Now, to be clear, I'm all in favor of jobs and families and community and moral formation. It's just none of those things are perfect. None of those things are capable of being the absolute foundation of our lives. None of them loved us before we were born, and none of us can give us life when we are dead. And a lot of bad things happen when we confuse the blessings of life with the foundation of our lives. If we look to our careers, bank accounts, resumes, or family vacation photos to be the measure of how good our life is, we will constantly be trying to level up, constantly looking over our shoulders to see how much other people have. But as you might have figured out by now, 
There are no levels or rankings to life. This is not a game. Our family and friends are blessings meant to enrich our lives, not commodities that we use to make life worth living. That's an incredibly heavy and impossible burden to put on another person, to say to someone, you are responsible for being my purpose. That's just downright oppressive to put that on another person. It takes the blessing of a relationship and it reduces it down to its function. But when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest, he tells us this because he knows that he can carry the burden of our sins, our finitude, our meaning. No one and nothing else can do this. Try as we might, there is not an alternative to Jesus when it comes to the forgiveness of our sins, the resurrection of the dead, or the love that will fully and completely make all things well. And so even if following Jesus cuts across the grain of society and is a challenge, Jesus alone gives us the peace that passes all understanding. This doesn't, though, mean that following Jesus is necessarily easy or that it comes naturally. The world is a busy and distracting place. Maybe if we were all monks who just sat around all day contemplating God, maybe we would think that we are firmly grounded in faith. But probably not. Read the spiritual writings of any mystic or nun and they'll tell you they have the same struggles that we do. They ask the same questions. Where is God? How do I control these temptations? Why am I here? And this is why we need glimpses of the glory of God to support us in faith, to assure us of our belovedness, to help us enjoy our forgiveness, to make us confidence that all shall be well. And this is where the passage from Mark, generally called the Transfiguration, comes in. It comes at the hinge point, both in the Gospels and in the church year. In the story, this is the transition moment from Jesus' healing and teaching ministry to his passion. That's why at the end of the reading we heard he ordered them to tell no one about this until after he was raised from the dead. Because after this biblical event, the narrative shifts. We start heading towards Jerusalem and the cross. We are also moving out of the season after the Epiphany, that season in which we've been reflecting upon who Jesus is, and we're heading into the season of Lent on Wednesday, the season in which we prepare ourselves to enter again into the mystery of our salvation. And as we turn this corner, both in the narrative and in the calendar, we need a glimpse of something that will see us through. Lent is a time in which a lot of people choose to take on a discipline of one kind or another. Some will abstain from things, Others will resolve to do new things. Whether it's giving up chocolate or coming to morning prayer a couple days a week, these disciplines are going to be challenging. And after a week or two, you might start to ask yourself, why am I doing this? It's a glimpse of the transfiguration, though, that reminds us why we are doing this. Because just as Jesus seen in dazzling glory, that is the glory that we are destined for. And so we give things up and take things on 
to draw ourselves closer to this glory. Now, sometimes the glimpse comes like a transfiguring moment. They are things that we don't plan for. They catch us off guard. When those sort of glimpses come to you, let yourself linger and enjoy what God is showing you. Something I always try to do is to leave a little bit of time between all of my meetings and appointments so that if God is trying to get my attention as I'm walking downtown and run into someone, I've got time to stop and notice those glimpses. A lot of the time, though, we glimpse the things that we have strategically placed in our lives, like those photos and those keepsakes that we keep around our homes and offices. So you might think about what your space and your schedule looks like and ask, where have I intentionally put things to give me glimpses into the glory of God? You might decide to carry a rosary around in your pocket that will invite you to prayer throughout the day. Perhaps you'll put an icon on your desk or your wall so that every time you walk by it and catch a glimpse of it, you will be reminded of God's love in which you are held. Maybe you set a reminder on your phone to pray the Lord's Prayer every day at noon. Next time you're at the ATM, maybe you'll get an extra bill and just carry it around and be on the lookout for a person or a charity that you could give it to. It's a question about how we arrange our lives to catch glimpses of the God who is always with us. Today, as we celebrate the St. Luke's Foundation, that's one way that we catch a glimpse of what the Spirit is up to in and among us. And yes, there's beauty, prayer, scripture, and sacrament. Those are places where we get glimpses of God. But a place where I so often catch glimpses of God's grace is through you all, through your faithful service to this parish and our community, in your generosity, in your words of encouragement and support, I get glimpses of God. And so I thank you for helping me to see God at work in my life. And I wonder, what glimpses of God's grace have you seen recently? I hope that you will spend some time reflecting on those glimpses and share them with those around you. Because what keeps us going in the difficult and trying times of life are glimpses of faith, hope, and love, which remind us that all is being made well by Jesus. Thanks be to the God who comes to us in so many ways to remind us and assure us that we are already forgiven and we are always loved.